0: Welcome to today's reading of the Mason City Globe Gazette and the Fort Dodge Messenger for um, January 15th, 2024. I'm your reader, Erica Dubinbars. Um, happy MLK Day. Because it is MLK Day and because of the weather the past few days, um, I will be reading a mixture of stories from um, a couple of different days' editions of both of these papers and will indicate um which day I'm on before I read stories. So here is our first story from the Mason City Globe Gazette for today's edition, Monday, January 15th. Down the streets they come. Caucus experts weigh in on the candidates' final pitches to voters. For presidential candidates, the final weekend before an Iowa caucus is all about making themselves available to Iowa voters and making that closing argument that could persuade any Iowans who remains on the caucus fence. That's according to a pair of experts on the Iowa caucuses who the Des Moines Bureau asked to discuss the last weekend Iowa caucus campaign plans of Donald Trump, Ron DeSantis, and Nikki Haley. Of course, part of that discussion, as are so many in the Midwest— has become about the weather. Blizzard conditions hit Iowa this weekend and are here to stay through Monday night's caucuses. According to the National Weather Services, some areas of southern and southeastern Iowa received more than a foot of snow during the second storm this week, and, quote, life-threatening wind chills, unquote, could reach as low as 40 degrees below zero Sunday. The high temperature for Monday is forecast below zero across the state. The storms have already wreaked havoc with the presidential candidate's final weekend schedules. Haley canceled all three of her events scheduled for Friday and instead conducted tele-town halls. DeSantis and the super PAC supporting him canceled four of the five events at which he was scheduled to appear Friday, sneaking in only an appearance at a suburban Des Moines conservative groups meeting early in the morning. And Trump's campaign retooled his schedule— while some events will remain in place, Trump himself planned to only be in Iowa for one of the four events scheduled for this weekend in the Des Moines area on Sunday. DeSantis and Haley tried to stick to their schedule Saturday and Sunday. You have to make yourself available in the final weekend, because I know this is hard for some people to wrap their minds around, but people are trying to make up their mind right now, said Craig Robinson, an Iowa caucus campaign staff veteran who now works as a consultant. Robinson said he is, quote, happily unattached, unquote, in the 2024 Republican presidential primary. Iowa Republican voters are not like, I've been on board this campaign the whole time. That's rare, Robinson said. I think most people are making up their mind, and the best person to close the deal is the candidate themselves. So it makes sense to me that you would really see pretty intense barnstorming of the state in the final weekend." To Robinson's point, some Iowa Republicans who attended Wednesday night's presidential debate at Drake University in Des Moines, who were interviewed on campus after the debate, said they were still wrestling with who to support at Monday night's caucuses. Ron DeSantis DeSantis' final weekend schedule is the most aggressive of the three, which matches his approach to Iowa throughout the cycle. Few candidates have campaigned in Iowa as often as DeSantis, and he has held more campaign events here than Trump or Haley. DeSantis had a barnstormer's schedule for the weekend, covering the state literally river to river. Council Bluffs, Atlantic, West Des Moines, Davenport, and Waterloo on Saturday, and Dubuque, Cedar Rapids, Sioux City, and Ankeny on Sunday. The Saturday night event in Waterloo was postponed. Timothy Hagel, a political science professor at the University of Iowa, said DeSantis' final weekend schedule may be an indication that the governor is attempting to replicate Ted Cruz's victorious 2016 Iowa caucus campaign. In 2016, Cruz, a U.S. senator from Texas, edged Trump in the Iowa Republican caucuses in part by winning more counties than Trump, 56 for Cruz to 37 for Trump, including by excelling in the state's rural areas. Trump, however, followed his runner-up showing in Iowa with a victory in New Hampshire, and from there went on to earn the party's nomination and eventually the White House. This is when they're trying to make their closing argument and talk to some final people who still may be, if not undecided, are persuadable still at this point, Hagel said. Nikki Haley. Haley spoke at Second State Brewery in Cedar Falls on Saturday night, along with stops in Iowa City and Davenport. Hagel said those Saturday stops for Haley make sense, given their recent Iowa Republican Caucus history. Iowa City is in Johnson County and Davenport in Scott County. Those are two of the five counties that in the 2016 Iowa Republican Caucuses went to Marco Rubio, the U.S. senator from Florida who finished a close third to Cruz and Trump. Haley's third stop Saturday in Blackhawk County is where Rubio finished a close second to Cruz in 2016. Hagel said, viewed through the lens of the 2016 results, Haley's scheduled stops make sense because she appears to be making a campaign pitch that would attract the type of Iowa Republicans who caucused for Rubio. Donald Trump Trump's final weekend schedule changed dramatically with the weather. Originally, he plans to attend campaign rallies in Atlantic and Sioux City on Saturday, and Indianola and Cherokee on Sunday. After changing the schedule due to the weather... Trump appeared only in the Des Moines metro area. Prior to those changes, Robinson said he was intrigued by Trump's strategy of spending his final weekend in Iowa, with the exception of Sioux City, outside of the state's largest metropolitan areas. On one hand, it looks a little odd, but I actually think that might work for him because it's showing that he's willing to campaign more rurally, Robinson said. I think that Trump going to those size communities is probably a pretty good use of his time. Robinson noted that Trump's 2016 success in Iowa was confined mostly to counties on or near the Missouri and Mississippi rivers. If Trump is to win the 2024 caucuses and match his historic caucus polling numbers, he will need to be successful in other areas of the state as well, Robinson said. What vote didn't Trump get eight years ago in the caucus? He didn't get the rural vote, Robinson said. He didn't dominate in rural Iowa. Ted Cruz won all those counties. I think for Trump to meet expectations Monday, he needs to do well all across the state this time, and if his support is limited to certain areas of the state, he might be in trouble. So I think that it might be pretty wise for him to be campaigning the way he's approaching it. The weather. The frigid temperatures and high winds could drive down turnout in Monday night's caucuses, both Hagel and Robinson said especially in rural areas where caucus participants may have to travel farther to their caucus precinct. Hagel said it's possible that dangerously cold temperatures could cause both older and younger Iowa Republicans to decide against going out on Monday night. Whether a weather-induced lower caucus turnout would harm one candidate any more than the others remains to be seen, the experts said. Who does this affect? Which campaign? That's harder to say, because I haven't seen any statistics lately that are suggesting that maybe older voters tend towards this candidate or that candidate. It's probably a mix, Hale said, adding that he believes both Trump and Vivek Ramaswamy have appealed to younger voters. It's going to vary. Robinson said if any of the leading candidates' campaigns are worried about the weather, Trump's should. That's because he has the most to lose as the consistent and commanding leader in the polls throughout the cycle, and because he has earned the support of many non-traditional Republicans, who may feel less motivated to attend a caucus in extreme cold weather. The caucus is such a greater step anyway. I have to go to a meeting at a certain time, at a certain place, and I might not be familiar with any of it. So I think Trump already is fighting that, Robinson said. And then, he's got this lead— I think of his numbers. If he doesn't meet expectations, I think there's a lot of that at play. End of story. Final poll. Trump has big lead. Haley edges DeSantis. Former President Donald Trump maintained his wide lead among likely Iowa Republican caucus goers, while former U.N. Ambassador Nikki Haley pulled ahead of Florida Governor Ron DeSantis just days before Monday's high-stakes Iowa GOP caucuses that could help determine whether either candidate has a viable shot at upending Trump's path to the nomination. The latest Des Moines Register NBC News Mediacom Iowa poll, released Saturday night, shows Trump holding a nearly 30-point lead among likely Iowa GOP caucus-goers, while Haley moved ahead of DeSantis in a tight race for second. The top line results from the poll. Trump at 48%, Haley at 20%, DeSantis at 16%, and Ramaswamy at 8%. Haley's upward momentum comes despite a decline in her overall popularity with Iowa voters. Haley's favorability ratings fell in the latest poll to 48%, from 59%, and 46% viewed her unfavorably, up from 31%. DeSantis also saw his favorable ratings decline, though 58% still view him positively. The poll also found Haley's supporters were much less enthusiastic about caucusing for her. A 61% majority of Haley backers said they are, quote, mildly enthusiastic, unquote, or, quote, not that enthusiastic, unquote, about turning out to caucus for her on what is forecast to be a bitterly cold caucus night with a low of around minus 13 degrees Fahrenheit and wind chill values as low as minus 35 degrees. By contrast, 88% of Trump supporters said they are, quote, extremely enthusiastic, unquote, or quote, very enthusiastic, unquote, about caucusing for him, while 62% of DeSantis supporters said the same. Overall, 55% of poll respondents said that they will definitely rather than probably attend the caucuses Monday. Among DeSantis supporters, 62% said they will definitely attend, compared to 56% for Trump supporters and 51% for Haley supporters. Overall, Trump leads with independents who plan to caucus with Republicans, but independents and Democrats make up half of Haley's backers going into the caucus, according to the poll. Trump jabs at Haley. Former President Donald Trump sat down with Iowa Republican Attorney General Brenna Byrd for a livestream event Saturday from Des Moines. Byrd endorsed Trump in the fall. She asked him about primary rival Nikki Haley, who served in his administration as U.S. ambassador to the United Nations. Byrd noted Trump has been critical of Haley's rhetoric on immigration, highlighting her opposition to a travel ban Trump imposed on several Muslim-majority countries while president, which he has vowed to reinstate if elected in 2024, pointing to Haley's comments in 2015 that Americans shouldn't describe illegal immigrants as criminals, and falsely claiming Haley opposed the construction of a border wall. Byrd asked Trump, Given the thousands of unvetted illegals that are coming across our southern border every day, why are Nikki Haley's comments dangerous and naive? Trump responded by calling Haley, quote, a globalist, unquote, who is not aligned with his nationalistic, quote, America first, unquote, agenda. He also mentioned former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie, who suspended his presidential campaign last week caught on a hot mic saying GOP presidential candidate Nikki Haley will, quote, get smoked, unquote, in the primary race. I don't think Nikki's strong enough to be president. I know her very well, Trump said. Haley has sharpened her criticisms of Trump in recent weeks, saying his countless legal problems are major distractions and that the country doesn't need more, quote, chaos, unquote, in government. We can't have a country in disarray and a world on fire and go through four more years of chaos. We won't survive it, Haley often says on the campaign trail. Byrd, Iowa's chief legal officer, accused Biden of weaponizing the justice system and committing election interference. Trump has been indicted by federal grand juries composed of average citizens following investigations that included witness testimony and a trove of evidence over his alleged mishandling of classified documents. The former president faces a total of 91 felony counts across multiple criminal cases that include conspiracy to defraud the United States and witness tampering over efforts to overturn the 2020 election. Byrd also said she didn't think weather would stop Trump supporters from showing up on caucus night. We're used to it being cold, dark, and snowy in January, but we also remember what it was like when you were president and people are on fire, she said. They are going to make it happen on caucus night. Ramaswamy responds to Trump. Trump brushed back at at Ohio biotech entrepreneur Vivek Ramaswamy on social media, stemming from Ramaswamy's recent insistence that support for Trump would be wasted because, quote, the system, unquote, is lined up against him. The former president took to social media, posting on Truth Social, quote, very sly, but a vote for Vivek is a vote for the, quote, other side, unquote. Don't get duped by this. Vote for Trump. Don't waste your vote. Vivek is not MAGA. Unquote. The post stemmed from shirts that Ramaswamy's campaign handed out that say, Save Trump. Vote Vivek. Ramaswamy reposted a photo with a group of young men wearing them after a recent campaign event in Iowa, which caught Trump's attention. On social media and at a campaign event Thursday in Cedar Rapids, Ramaswamy urged voters to support him as the candidate who will, quote, save Trump, unquote, from, quote, these made-up, Trumped-up prosecutions, unquote. Ramaswamy responded to Trump's post in a statement. It's an unfortunate move by his campaign advisors. I don't think friendly fire is helpful, Ramaswamy said. Donald Trump was the greatest president of the 21st century, and I'm not going to criticize him in response to this late attack. End of story. Principal dies of injuries from school shooting. An Iowa principal who put himself in harm's way to protect students during a school shooting earlier this month died Sunday, a funeral home confirmed. Caldwell Parish Funeral Home and Crematory confirmed the death of Perry High School principal Dan Marburger after the family announced it on a GoFundMe page. Marburger was critically injured during the January 4th attack which began in the school's cafeteria as students were gathering for breakfast before class. An 11-year-old middle school student was killed in the shooting, and six other people were injured. The 17-year-old student who opened fire also died of an apparent self-inflicted gunshot. The day after the shooting, the State Department of Public Safety said Marburger, quote, "...acted selflessly and placed himself in harm's way in an apparent effort to protect his students." Unquote. News of Marburger's death was first posted on a GoFundMe page for his family. The post, by Marburger's wife Elizabeth, said he died at about 8 a.m. Sunday and said, Dan lost his battle. He fought hard and gave us 10 days that we will treasure forever. The news that Marburger died triggered a flood of support on the Perry Facebook page, with nearly 200 people posting condolences within the first hour after it was posted. Iowa Republican Governor Kim Reynolds offered her condolences. Our entire state is devastated by the news of Dan Marburger's death, she said in a statement Sunday. End of story. We're now going to switch over to the Sunday, January 14th edition of the Mason City Globe Gazette. On the border. Where the GOP presidential candidates stand on immigration. Border security and immigration are among the top issues motivating Republican voters in the upcoming presidential primary and general elections. Republican candidates have been campaigning in Iowa for more than a year ahead of the first-in-the-nation caucuses on Monday, making frequent promises to secure the border and crack down on immigration. Here's what candidates have to say about how they would approach border security. Donald Trump. Former President Donald Trump was first elected in 2016, taking a hardline immigration stance and promising to build a wall at the southern U.S. border. While president... Trump imposed policies that required some asylum seekers to remain in Mexico while awaiting their trial dates, ramped up deportations, and implemented a, quote, zero-tolerance, unquote, policy that led to hundreds of children being separated from their parents at the border. He also built around 500 miles of new border wall, with much of it replacing existing structures. Border security and immigration is again a central piece of Trump's campaign this year, as he frequently paints a picture of chaos at the southern border under President Joe Biden. Trump says he will reinstate those policies in a second term and take more dramatic action to crack down on illegal immigration. Those plans include implementing a mass deportation policy, empowering federal officials to aggressively seek out undocumented immigrants and expel them from the country. At a rally in Newton in January, Trump said he would orchestrate, quote, the largest deportation in history, unquote. Trump has also called for ending birthright citizenship to the children of undocumented immigrants. The 14th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution grants citizenship to anyone born in the United States. Trump frequently refers to undocumented immigrants as criminals and says they are, quote, poisoning the blood, unquote, of the United States, a line that has received comparisons to the writings of Adolf Hitler. A vote for Donald Trump in these caucuses is a vote to secure our border, he said in Newton. It's a vote to stop the invasion, the biggest invasion of our country ever. Ron DeSantis Florida Governor Ron DeSantis says he will declare a national emergency at the southern border and allow state and local law enforcement to carry out immigration enforcement. DeSantis has been critical of Trump for failing to build the southern border wall while president. DeSantis says he will build the wall and charge remittances on money workers send overseas in order to pay for it. We're going to declare the border to be a national emergency. I'll mobilize resources, he said. We'll stop the invasion into the country. We'll designate the cartels to be foreign terrorist organizations. In a Des Moines Register op-ed, DeSantis said he would block a swath of asylum cases and, quote, end the abuse of parole authority, unquote. He also said he would authorize the deportation of millions of undocumented migrants. DeSantis has said he would authorize the use of deadly force on people smuggling drugs into the United States throughout the southern border. DeSantis has also said he would cancel the student visas of people who he deems to be supportive of Hamas. Like Trump, he said he would move to end birthright citizenship. Nikki Haley Former South Carolina governor Nikki Haley has called for bolstering federal agencies and implementing stricter border policies to stem the flow of migrants at the southern border. She says as governor of South Carolina, she passed quote the toughest illegal immigration law in the country unquote. During a debate on CNN last week, she called for adding thousands of new agents to the Border Patrol and Immigration and Customs Enforcement, as well as pulling funding from sanctuary cities. Quote, we need to make sure we go back to the remain in Mexico policy so that no one even steps foot on U.S. soil, Unquote, she said at the debate. And instead of catch and release, we need to go to catch and deport. That's the only way we will stop the incentives of these illegal immigrants coming across. Haley has also signaled she will take action to deport the millions of undocumented migrants living in the U.S. During the debate, she said, quote, you have to deport them, Unquote. Vivek Ramaswamy, Ohio biotech entrepreneur Vivek Ramaswamy has called for deporting undocumented immigrants and using the military to secure the southern border. He has called for using military force on Mexican drug cartels as a response to the trafficking of fentanyl into the U.S. What we need to do is stop using our military to protect somebody else's border halfway around the world when we're short right here at home. Get serious about protecting this border, he said in a November debate. Ramaswamy has also called for ending birthright citizenship. Asa Hutchinson Former Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson led the Department of Homeland Security's Border Security Division shortly after its creation under George W. Bush. The experience, he says, makes him uniquely qualified to deal with immigration and border security. Hutchinson said in an interview with the Quad City Times he would meet with leaders in South and Latin America to partner on slowing the traffic of migrants at the southern border. We cannot invade Mexico. We have to partner with them. And that's how you address border security, he said. I obviously would continue to build infrastructure, not just the wall, but the infrastructure through technology. Ryan Binkley. Ryan Binkley, a Texas pastor and CEO, says he will reorganize the Department of Homeland Security and shift resources into, quote, essential operating components, unquote. He also calls for billions of dollars to build border infrastructure and update ports of entry. At an event in December, Binkley called it, quote, a true plan for security, but also that meets the strict worker needs that we have, Unquote. End of story. Weather could chill caucus turnout. Winter blast may make unrepresentative way of picking nominees worse. Most Iowans won't be out Monday night. Never mind that it's forecast to be well below zero, with wind chills as low as minus 40 degrees, and the roads may still be icy from a set of snowstorms that hammered the state this past week. It's because they're not registered with the Republican Party, which is kicking off the presidential nominating season with its famous caucuses. Or because they don't want to make the commitment to attend, which involves getting to the nearest of 1,500 caucus sites and sitting in a room, potentially for hours, for the chance to vote on the party's presidential nominee. But the winter weather, intimidating even for Iowa, will make an already unrepresentative process even less representative. Elderly Iowans, the backbone of the caucus, are wondering how they will make it to their sites Monday. Political types are mentally downgrading their expected turnout and wondering who a smaller, harder-core electorate will favor. All this gives longtime critics of the caucus even more reason to be critical. There is no way to begin the election of a, this is no way to begin the election of a president," said Julian Castro, a former San Antonio mayor and federal housing secretary, who was a Democratic presidential candidate in 2020 when he called for Iowa to have a less prominent role. You have to be a diehard who's willing to trudge through snow and be there for several hours, and if you miss it, your opportunity to vote is gone. Democrats already have downgraded Iowa after the state party bungled the vote counting in the 2020 caucuses. Democrats have relegated the state to later in their nominating process after President Joe Biden declared that he wanted more diverse states that better represent his party and the country to cast the first votes. That party's process starts in South Carolina on February 3rd, then moves to Nevada, with New Hampshire next in the new order for 2024, even though the state party is going ahead with a January 23rd primary that national Democrats say won't count. But Republicans have stuck with Iowa, which once was competitive, but has swung firmly to the right in the age of Donald Trump, who carried the state in the general election in 2016 and 2020. Its population is whiter, more rural, and evangelical than the nation, but that matches the GOP's voters better than the Democratic Party's. Some Republicans expect a still robust turnout, though most acknowledge the weather will scare at least some voters away. This'll be worse than we've ever had, said Doug Gross, once a top aide to former Republican Governor Terry Branstad, who said his own 90 year old mother had decided she couldn't caucus in these conditions. It's going to dampen turnout. Brad Anderson, state director of AARP Iowa, said older voters historically decide who wins and loses the contest because, quote, the caucuses do tend to trend older in terms of turnout, unquote. This caucus might be, quote, somewhat of an outlier, unquote, he said. The cold and potential snow drifts, especially in rural parts of the state, make conditions treacherous for people of all ages, Anderson said. He advised extreme caution especially for those with mobility issues, and hopes Iowans will take safety into account. One older woman who lives in a retirement home in Newton telephoned Thad Niermeyer, chair of the Jasper County Republicans, saying she still drives but would be, quote, a bit more comfortable going if somebody else was driving, unquote, he said. She will be asking friends, family, and neighbors for a ride to Monday's caucuses. It would be a huge undertaking for the county party to organize rides widely, but Nearmeyer recommended that those who want to attend a caucus reach out to friends, family, and neighbors. You know, if it was right now with this wind whipping and snow, nobody would be able to make it, Nearmeyer said Friday. But I think we've got times for the roads to clear, the wind to die down. I think it'll be pretty well attended. Even under better conditions, only a tiny fraction of Iowans even participate in the caucuses. In 2016, 186,000 votes were cast in the Republican caucus in a state population of more than 3.1 million, and that's what provides the most important kickoff to the contest to lead a nation of 330 million people. The caucuses are a relic of the push to reform party nominating processes in the 1970s, freeing them from the influence of party bosses. They helped vault underdogs such as Democrats Jimmy Carter and Barack Obama into the White House. Caucuses tend to favor movement candidates, liberal Democrats and conservative increasingly evangelical Republicans, whose supporters are more willing to carve out time on their calendar and dominate the caucus room. The small size of the event, end of Iowa overall, is part of the pitch, said Rabia Belt, a Stanford law professor who has been critical of the caucuses. There are conflicting desires in crafting the nominating process, Belt said. If you start with large states, or states in expensive media markets, that creates barriers to potential candidates who may not have a lot of money or organizational power at the outset. Also, a small state can allow candidates to tailor their messaging and work on their retail political game during intimate conversations with committed and interested people. End of story. You are listening to the Mason City Globe Gazette and the Fort Dodge Messenger on IRIS, the Iowa radio reading information service for the blind. All material heard on IRIS is intended solely for the use of the blind and print disabled. I'm your reader, Erica Dubinbars. If you have any comments on this or any other IRIS program, give us a call at 515-243-6833. And now, we'll go to the Fort Dodge Messenger. The Fort Dodge Messenger does not have a print edition today um, because it is MLK Day. So I will be starting with some articles from the Saturday, January 13th edition of the Fort Dodge Messenger. Community invited to come together in honor of Martin Luther King Jr. um, on... Never mind, that event happened on Sunday, so we will start with a different article. In brief... Blandon closed Tuesday. The Blandon Memorial Art Museum, nine twenty Third Avenue South, will be closed on Tuesday in, observ- in observance of Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Normal museum hours will resume on Wednesday. Clarion Ambulance Service Chili Supper Tuesday. Clarion Ambulance Service is holding a chili supper from 5.30 to 7 p.m. Tuesday between the Clarion-Goldfield-Dows and St. Edmund Basketball Games at the Clarion-Goldfield-Dows High School Cafeteria in Clarion. The meal includes chili, crackers, cinnamon rolls, veggies, and drink for $8 per person. The supper is open to the public. If you are not attending the games, inform the staff at the ticket table. The Dayton Community, Dayton Community Grocery Fundraiser on January 28th. The Dayton Community Club is holding a free will donation meal and silent auction fundraiser for the Dayton Community Grocery from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. January 28th at the Dayton Community Center. There will be a freewill donation meal of pulled pork, baked beans, chips, dessert, and drink, served beginning at 11 a.m. until gone. A silent auction will be held until 1.45 p.m. To donate items for the silent auction, contact Sarah Stevens at s.stevens@svjags.org. at svjags.org. To make a monetary donation, contact Jody W. at Security Savings Bank in Dayton. Funds raised will help keep the grocery store open. Otho UMC Soup Supper, January 20th. Atho United Methodist Church is holding a soup supper from 4:30 to 7 p.m. January 20th at the church. The menu is vegetable beef soup, chicken noodle soup, chili, and cheesy potato soup for a free will offering. To-go meals are available by calling Nancy at 515-570-4827. End of article. Birthdays: Nelson 90th birthday. Kathy Nelson of Fort Dodge celebrated her 90th birthday, January 8th. Cards may be sent to her at 700 South 17th Street, number W403, Fort Dodge, Iowa, 50501. Her family includes Carol Nelson, Fort Dodge, David Nelson, Orlando, Florida, Lynn and Gary McNeese, Newmarket, and Susan and Kent Palmer, Calendar. She has six grandchildren and seven great-grandchildren. Her husband, Dwayne Sonny Nelson, is deceased. Kathy Barlow was born on January 8, 1934. She worked at Lando Lakes for 30 years. Her hobbies are red hat ladies, church, and reading for the blind at Friendship Haven. Lynch, 90th birthday. Carol Lynch will celebrate her 90th birthday on Friday. Cards may be sent to her, CO Karen Pirick, 3115 Southwest 31st Place, Des Moines, Iowa, 50321. Her family includes Denise and David McNitt of Council Bluffs, Mark and Janine Lynch of Barnum, and Karen and Jeff Pyrick of Des Moines. She has 11 grandchildren and 11 great grandchildren. She was born on January 19, 1934, in Clare. She married Jean Lynch of Barnum, and together they farmed land outside of Barnum for 64 years. End of birthdays. And now for some community highlights. The Fort Dodge Community Recreation Center is now open again. Blandon Memorial Art Museum hours are Monday closed, Tuesday through Saturday, 11 a.m. to 5 p.m., and Sunday closed. Visit www.blandin.org. Citizens Central. Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4.30 p.m., Coffee, card games, pool, snooker, exercise room with treadmills, rep- recumbent bike, and exercise at the Fort Dodge Community Recreation Center. Here are some other events going on at the center. Video yoga is Wednesday and Friday from 9 to 9.45 a.m. Volunteer lead exercise class is, from t- is Tuesday and Thursday from 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. Regular pool players, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday from 1 to 4 p.m., New user pool is Tuesday and Thursday from 1 to 4 p.m. Open card games are Tuesday and Thursday from 1 to 4 p.m. And open exercise is Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Here is the menu for Deer Creek apartment meals um, this week. Monday, closed because it's MLK Junior Day. Tuesday, pulled pork and baked beans. Wednesday, Beef meatballs with white rice Thursday roasted turkey mashed potatoes and gravy Friday chicken strips and pasta salad here's a list of congregate meals happening this week Um, and the menu is Monday baked cod roasted red potatoes Tuesday there'll be a Philly sloppy Joe and green beans Wednesday it's cook's choice Thursday tuna melt with a tossed romaine salad and Friday, Tater Tot ca- Casserole with Peas. Um, and you can get those foods on the menu um, at the following places this week. Um, Monday through Friday at 10.30 a.m. in Manson at Golden Meadows. 11.05 a.m. in Clarion, Iowa at the special- Iowa Specialty Hospital. 11.30 a.m. Manson at the Mac Center. Kanawha Town Hall um, at 11.45 a.m. Um, Bancroft Senior Center, Rockwell City Senior Center, all of those at 11.45, 11.50 a.m., Sac City Senior Center at noon, Algona Senior Center, Eagle Grove Senior Center, Fonda Senior Center, Gowrie Community Center, the Jefferson Greenwood Community Center, Lawrence City Hall, Pocahontas Hindi Community Center, Webster City at the Senior Center, that's at 749 2nd Street. On Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday um, at 11.15 a.m. and 5 p.m., you can get these meals um, at, in Belmond at the Linebox Center. And then these next two sites are for Monday, Wednesday, and Friday um, at 11.30 a.m. at the Havelock United Methodist Church. And then Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday, you can get um, these meals at 11.30 a.m. At, at the Lake City Senior Center. Fort Dodge Duplicate Bridge The Fort Dodge Duplicate Bridge Club is holding face to face games at Citizens Central 617 Central Avenue. All games are open to players of all ages. Games begin at 6 PM Monday and noon Wednesday and Friday. For partners or information, Rose Buddha Clausen 515 570 3466. Proof of vaccination is required. January tenth, One, Joyce Garton-Natt and Bev Walker. Two, Linda Peterson and Deb Feerdick. Three, Jim Adams and Sue Adams. Four, Bonnie Calvert and Marty Bennett. End of community highlights. And now we are going to switch to the Friday, January 12th edition of the Fort Dodge Messenger. Ready for round two. Fort Dodge street crews prepare for second snowstorm this week. By Kelby Wingert. While central Iowa residents flock to the grocery stores to stock up on milk, bread, and eggs in advance of winter storms throughout the season, prepared to possibly spend several days stuck at home, the crew at the city of Fort Dodge Public Works Department spends that time preparing for the storm in a different way. Working with a quick turnaround from the winter storm that hit the area earlier in the week, the city's fleet of about a dozen snowplows was poised and ready to go by noon on Thursday according to Doug Barkema, operations manager for, for the Public Works Department. We're ready to go tonight, he said. We've been working on equipment lights. Knowing just how much the city depends on the fleet of plows to clear snow from the streets, the Public Works Department also prepares a pair of black backup plow trucks ahead of big storms like this, Barkema said. There's two really old ones that we're going to have to use in case we have something break down, he said. Every snowstorm you have problems with mechanical or something has to be fixed. The mechanics in the city's garage are the unsung heroes of keeping those snowplows on the road. Our mechanics keep everything running, Barkema said. Today we had time to fix everything and get everything going again, and those guys did a really good job getting stuff ready to go for tonight. During significant storms, the snowplow drivers work 12-hour shifts. We keep rotating, Barkema said. In addition to the fleet of snowplows, which are also fitted with salt spreaders, the city has two motor graders and two end loaders fitted with snow blades. Last year, a large snowblower on an end loader was added to the mix as well. I want to thank the city council for helping us out, getting us this new equipment, Barkema said. We appreciate it. The dump trucks filled with sand and salt get started even before the first flake of snow falls. I have a guy outputting sand and salt mixes on the hills, getting them ready to go, Barkema said Thursday afternoon. The city uses a blend of rock salt and sand to spread on the roads, he said. This is because in really low temperatures, the salt can take much longer to be effective, and in the meantime, the sand provides traction for the vehicles driving on those roads. The city crews jobs don't end once the streets are cleared, Barkema said. Most of the equipment is dirty. So we clean them up and get all the salt off of them, he said. Then they go over all the equipment to identify anything that needs fixed before the next storm. And then the process begins once again. According to the National Weather Service on Thursday morning, the Fort Dodge area is expected to see 7 to 11 inches of snowfall starting late Thursday night and throughout most of the day today, Friday. Nearly the entire state is under a winter storm warning from 9 p.m. Thursday through 12 a.m. Saturday. On Thursday afternoon, a blizzard warning from 10 a.m. Friday through 6 a.m. Saturday was added. The snow is going to be followed by some arctic temperatures in the single digits and below over the weekend. Sunday is expected to see a high of negative 7 degrees with a low of negative 20 degrees. The wind chill on Sunday is expected to be as low as negative 40. A wind chill watch is in effect from Saturday evening through Tuesday morning. Editor's note. Due to an early deadline, this messenger story was written before the NWS sent out its Thursday evening update on the storm. Updated predicted snow totals may be different. End of story. Wright County Barn Beloved Since 1948 by Clayton Rye. I put a lot of hay in that barn. That was Jim Avery's first response when talking about the barn that was owned by his grandparents, Dillard and Welda Tor- Luelda Tudor. Avery believes that after World War II... Farmers had a lot of money because during the war, buying anything would not be patriotic. In 1948, Dillard Tudor had this 40 by 36 foot barn built as a dairy barn, and Avery believes it came with an unusual feature, a pre-made roof. The Tudors, who were married in 1929, had a daughter, Annie, who married Robert Avery, and they are Jim's parents. When Robert Avery returned from the Korean War, he was asked if he wanted to farm. He did. He did buying a piece of ground just 1 mile northwest of the Tudors, which is where Jim Avery grew up. The Tudors milked 6 to 8 cows and raised Angus beef cattle. Their August cattle became popular. Their Angus cattle became popular with 4H kids. Jim Avery recalls there were always a lot of geese and other fowl around the barn. Putting up hay was a family event. Avery's mother Annie drove the baler with his dad Robert on the hay rack. Avery said his grandmother, Luelda, drove a pickup that was attached to the rope used to lift the hay into the hay mow. Because his parents were out in the hay field, Luelda would take care of Jim and his brother by giving them coloring books and crayons as they rode with their grandmother back and forth in the pickup. Avery said there were 12 dumps of hay on a flat rack. At the end of the day, the hay and crew would enjoy cold meat sandwiches and soft drinks. The acreage was sold off from the farm in 1996 to area residents Clark and Doris Traeger, who were looking to move to an acreage. In 1997, the Traegers moved in and kept a wide variety of animals in the barn. Clark Traeger said there were seven head of sheep for a couple of years, four horned goats, angora goats, chickens, a horse, mules, donkeys, and three pigs, which presumably fell from a truck and that their daughter found on the road. The donkeys have been in the barn for the last ten years, including both standard and miniature-sized donkeys. Currently, three donkeys are kept in the barn. We've never had a cow in the barn, said Clark Traeger. The Traegers have left the barn in the same condition as when they arrived, with new shingles put on in 2019. Traeger said his wife Doris keeps the barn weather tight. She's out there with a cock gun when she sees a leak, said Traeger. End of story. In Brief Blue Scholarship Applications Available Applications for the 2024 Robert D. Blue Scholarship are now available according to the state treasurer, Robbie Smith. Applicants must be a current senior or graduate of any Iowa high school who plans to attend a college or university within the state. Awards are based on financial need, an original essay, academic achievements, and recommendations. Scholarship applications are only accepted online and must be submitted by May 10th. Go to rdblue.org to apply. We know the price of higher education is rising, but we also know it has significant benefits like higher earnings, more career options, and personal growth development, Smith said in a written statement. The Robert D. Blue Scholarship helps students achieve these and more, which is why I encourage all eligible Iowans to apply, no matter where they are at on their higher education journey. End of story. Obituaries Thomas Hawk, Manson, Iowa Thomas Benedict Hawk, 75, of Manson, passed away at his home on Wednesday, January 10, 2024, after a short battle with cancer. Visitation will be held from 4 to 7 p.m., with a vigil service at 7 p.m. on Saturday, January 13, 2024, at St. Thomas Catholic Church in Manson. Arrangements have been entrusted with Larson Weishar Funeral Home. Tom was born in Gilmore City, Iowa, on July 20, 1948 to Clarence and Mildred O'Hearn-Hawk. Tom graduated from Manson High School, home of the Eagles, in 1967. After high school, Tom went on to Iowa State University studying farm operations. After college, he returned home to farm with his dad. Tom met the love of his life, Linda. They were married on September 30, 1972, and they celebrated their 50th anniversary in 2022. Tom and Linda started their life on the family acreage in Manson, where their five children were born and continue to live today. Tom loved his family very much and loved to spend time with them. He also enjoyed riding his Harley with friends, covering many miles around the country and Canada. Tom always looked forward to his annual fishing trip with his boys and helping Andy on the farm. Tom is survived by his wife Linda, children Mike Hawk, Andy Don Hawk, Tim Paula Hawk, Janelle Hawk, and Brittany Bobby Knowles, all of Manson. Grandchildren, Stephanie Tyler Davis, Alyssa Routanen, Drew Hawk, William Hawk, Autumn Doty, and Daniel Knowles, all of Manson. Great-grandchildren, Lincoln, Evelyn, Marin, Miliana, and Thomas. He was preceded in death by his parents, Clarence and Mildred Hawk, his in-laws, Howard and Phyllis Lynch, his sister, Elizabeth Court, and brother-in-law, James Lynch. Ronald Hamilton. Ronald Allen Hamilton, 70, of Fort Dodge, Iowa, died Sunday, January 7, 2024, at Unity Point Health Trinity Regional Medical Center with his loving family by his side. Inurnment at Union Cemetery in Livermore, Iowa will be held at a later date. Memorials may be directed to the family. Arrangements are with Historic Bruce Funeral Home of Fort Dodge, To view the complete obituary and leave online condolences for the family, please visit www.brucesfuneralhome.com. Janet Janet Kinn, 82, of Eagle Grove, died January 11, 2024, at the Southfield Wellness Nursing Home in Webster City. Funeral services will be held 1 p.m. Monday, January 15, 2024, at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church. Visitation will be held from 2 to 5 p.m. Sunday at Gunderson Funeral Home and Cremation Services. Richard Fevold. Lawrence Richard Fevold, 94, of Badger, Iowa, died January 5, 2024. Services are pending at Gunderson Funeral Home and Cremation Services. Lynette Venatter. Due to weather forecast, Lynette's memorial is postponed to 11 a.m. on January 20th at Anchor Point Church with visitation one hour prior. Bowman Funeral Home. www.bowmanfh.com. Sonia Sanderson. Sonia Sanderson, age 87 of Fort Dodge, passed away on Monday, January 1st, 2024, at Bickford Assisted Living in Fort Dodge. Private family services will be held at a later date in Manchester, Iowa. Memorials may be directed to the family. The historic Bruce Funeral Home in Fort Dodge is serving the family. To view the complete obituary and leave online condolences for the family, please visit www.brucesfuneralhome.com. Cheryl Allen. Cheryl M. Allen, 60, of Clare, passed away Wednesday, January 10, 2024, at her home. Services are pending. lauffer Swiler Funeral Home is serving the family. Pat Schultz. Visitation has been changed to Sunday, January 14th, 1 to 3 p.m. at Faust Funeral Home in Eagle Grove. www.faustfh.com End of obituaries. Iowa man killed after using truck to ram two police vehicles at casino, authorities say. A man whose truck rammed two police vehicles and then used a chain to swing a metal object at officers was shot to death by police outside of an Iowa casino, state authorities said. The Iowa Division of Criminal Investigation identified the man killed as 55-year-old Salvador Perez Garcia of Sioux City. Names of the officers were not released. Both are on leave pending an investigation by the state agency. The DCI said a Sioux City officer was parked inside a parking garage at the Hard Rock Casino around 4 a.m. Monday when a white truck drove at the patrol vehicle and rammed it head-on. The truck was met by responding officers as it exited the garage and rammed a second patrol vehicle head-on, the DCI said in a news release. Perez Garcia emerged from the truck, quote, swinging a length of chain with an affixed metal object in an aggressive, threatening manner, unquote, the agency said. Officers tried to de-escalate the encounter and sought to take away the weapon, but couldn't, the DCI said. When Perez Garcia continued to approach the officers swinging the object, they shot him, the DCI said. Perez Garcia died at the scene. One officer was treated for injuries sustained when his patrol vehicle was struck by the truck. Sioux City Police Chief Rex Mueller told the Sioux City Journal. End of article. Governor Kim Reynolds' budget for state universities falls 30 million dollars short of regents' request, by Brooklyn Drazey of the Iowa Capital Dispatch. Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds has proposed allocating about 30 million dollars less than what the Iowa Board of Regents requested for itself and the universities next year, though some of the, though each of the universities would receive some increase in state funding. Reynolds' budget proposal, released Monday, included recommendations for administering money from the state's general fund and other sources to the regents, the University of Iowa, the University of Northern Iowa, and Iowa State University. The regents requested just over $609 million from the state's general fund and about $40 million from other state sources. Reynolds recommended allocating almost $619 million. The Board of Regents thanks Governor Reynolds for her support for Iowa's regent universities as demonstrated by her fiscal year 2025 budget recommendation, Board President Mike Richards said in a statement. The Board appreciates the continuing state appropriations our institutions receive. Iowa's public universities are key drivers of the state's economy and must have the proper level of resources to continue to provide the outstanding education our students deserve. The board and our university leadership are looking forward to working with the governor and general assembly during the 2024 legislative session. Of the three state universities, the University of Iowa is the only institution to receive more in the governor's proposal than it requested from the state's general fund. The university's current budget estimate was listed at about $218 million, and its request for next year raised that number to just over $222.5 million. The governor's recommendation would give the university almost $223.5 million. According to the budget report, the University of Iowa will use allocated dollars to fund programs that would boost retention, handle contract costs for merit and public safety, support faculty salaries, and more. Both the University of Iowa and Iowa State University asked for $4.5 million in incremental funding for fiscal year 2025 with the University of Northern Iowa seeking $5.8 million. Iowa State University's funding would increase from about $174 million to $178.4 million, landing just under what the institution requested. The funds would help keep costs of education down, keep pay competitive, address inflation, and help support and expand programs, according to the governor's budget proposal. The University of Northern Iowa would receive less than half of the increased funding it requested from the state. Under the governor's plan, UNI's budget would rise from this year's estimated budget of $99.4 million to almost $102 million. The university requested over $105 million. The budget report stated that increased funding would help keep the university's tuition flat in fiscal year 2025. The governor recommended no funding for some Individual programs the universities were hoping to start or expand. Those included the University of Iowa's Rural Healthcare Partnership, which would work to expand the state's healthcare workforce and reach more rural Iowans, and the University of Northern Iowa's UNI at IACC Community College Partnerships. The University of Northern Iowa also requested an increase of $2.5 million in its Educators for Iowa program. The state allocated $1.5 million last legislative session to help recruit and retain teaching students through scholarships and funding for student teachers, but the governor recommended no additional funds. Iowa State University did not receive the governor's recommendation for the $10 million increase in funding it has requested for its Future Ready Workforce program, which received $2.8 million last session to increase the workforce in high-need areas. The University of Iowa's State Hygienic Laboratory requested an additional $500,000 for technology upgrades and updated maintenance contracts, according to the report. But the governor's recommendation included no bump in funding. When discussing appropriations requests at its September meeting, the regents decided to ask the state for an additional $1 million for mental health programming on state university campuses after meeting with campus leaders who spoke about its importance. Reynolds recommended that this initiative receive no funding. Appropriation requests from other state funds include economic development at each university, special labs and programs, and board funds. The only requested increase in funding came from the Board of Regents' academic building revenue bonds. The governor recommended allocating $26.5 million for the program, rather than the requested $30 million. The state budget will be considered over the coming months by the legislature. End of story. That brings us to the end of today's reading of the Mason City Globe Gazette and the Fort Dodge Messenger. I'm your reader, Erica Dubinbars. Thanks for sharing your time with IRIS, the Iowa radio reading information service for the blind. Have a great MLK Day.